Hello, welcome to episode 10 of Virtually Relevant, uh, Houston VR's bi-weekly podcast about VR and AR. There's been a lot happening in the, the world at large and in the VR and AR world uh, over the past couple of weeks. So we actually thought we were going to focus entirely on uh, the, the latest happenings and latest developments. Uh, and then we'll kind of dive into another uh, deep dive uh, the next podcast. Obviously, the thing that is impacting everything and has certainly had some impact on VR, uh, coronavirus. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how that's impacting the VR world? Yeah, so we touched a little bit on this in our last episode, but um, obviously it's affecting VR due to manufacturing shortages and holdups. Um, you've got a large percentage of the Chinese population is under some form of quarantine at this point. Um, but most recently, some of that's affecting us here uh, stateside. Obviously, um, just earlier today, the city of Houston uh, announced they were canceling the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, which is one of the biggest rodeos in the world. Um, the NBA just announced that they're suspending the rest of their season. Um, Seattle, I think, uh, has limited, uh, gatherings of no more than 250 people. Um, globally, I know that like Italy has said to their, uh, their citizens that they, you know, you have to cancel your funeral, you have to cancel your wedding. Um, so it's kind of all over the place that, that this is, uh, starting to disrupt everyday lives, obviously, um, for the best you know, in the end, I, I think is going to be the case. Um, but it's certainly something that we have to keep in mind. Uh, one of the things we were talking about earlier today is that um, we run a meetup and we put people in headsets right. at the, that meetup. And historically, that's already a situation where hygiene is a concern. And so you're wiping down headsets, people are sweating, and, you know, you're, you're putting a device on people's face with very close proximity to their mouths. So... So it's a, it's definitely yeah. a difficult time to be doing VR demos. Uh, I was talking right. at a, a medical conference on Friday last, and we were uh, going to have uh, VR demo stations. We we did go ahead and have them, but we really were you know sterilizing the living hell out of the headsets, very very visibly, very ostentatiously. I mean, they were just sort of slathered in alcohol uh, yeah. between people and. Um, you know, that, that conference, I mean, up until an hour before the doors opened, they weren't sure whether or not the venue was going to pull out. Uh, the venue where we host our uh, our meetup every month just called today and is, is shutting down all events and meetups and classes at their locations. So we're, we're kind of scrambling to find uh, another venue and trying to decide if another venue makes sense. Um but certainly, I mean, these tech conferences where big products get announced and a lot of important things happen in the VR and AR world. Um, I mean, yeah, shoot, I mean, uh, how GDC, many? Uh-huh. Was it GDC that just uh, um, yeah. just had to to back out or had to to shut down? I guess. All right, yeah, GDC is canceled. Canceled. E3 canceled. E3. G GTC went online, effectively canceling anything but uh, remote. South by Southwest was canceled. Yeah, right. I mean, pretty much anything that involves international travel, which right. a lot of the tech world does. Yes. Um, it's it's being either outright canceled, postponed, or the future for it is uncertain. Um, right. I mean, so. it's it's hard to know. You know, so many of the so much of the tech that that feeds into VR and AR comes out of regions that are being hit really hard right now, particularly China. And, and so much of the, the kind of the rhythm of the, the tech world feeds through these tech conferences. 
Um, I suspect we're going to see a lot of things delayed and in short supply. I mean, it's it's very hard to get a quest again. Um, it's uh, you know the the index is sold out. Although the index, I think its manufacturing was less impacted. But um, yeah, it's it's just going to be challenging. I mean, I, I don't know what this is going to mean for the the next generation uh, graphics cards, the Ampere graphics cards from Nvidia. Whether that's going to you know push them back, delay production, things like that. So this this may sort of be a little hiccup in the VR world uh, between real challenges demoing it in public, not being able to have these conferences, slowing down manufacturing. So it's it's definitely uh, a concern, and it's it's something that is going to have a more impact before it eases off. I think conversely, um, the in, a, in an odd way, coronavirus, I think, will end up driving more people to the medium um, in the long term because they'll see sure. the, the potential that immersive technology gives them and the ability to work from remote locations, attend events and conferences from remote locations. Right. So, well, HTC is, is hosting its next... It, uh, it's next developer conference in VR specifically because of coronavirus. Um, yeah. Right. And we're, we're even talking about potentially hosting the, the meetup in VR this month. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. you know, yes, it, it's definitely uh, a good reason for people to be looking carefully at the benefits of remote collaboration using VR. Um, but, I mean, if you decided right now that you wanted to go that direction good luck getting a headset <laughs> so you know right yeah it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword yeah kind of hard to pivot right now when it's really hard to get a headset but i, I do agree josh it is one of those things where it, it's going to be an interesting uh potential turning point for uh vr and, and remote work since so many people are self-quarantining or you know being told to quarantine themselves or being you know in the, put in the hospital for various things um so it's it's one of those situations where the tech could genuinely help and i think we'll sure. see how that plays out in the long run down the line there's a there's a cascading effect that's happening right so there are schools that are closing and it's getting to the point where potentially um you know k through 12 schools might close and what happens when you have that during the school year um you know some students are able to get put into you know, daycare or some kind of, you know, boys and girls club kind of centers to help with the parents. But eventually those hit capacity too. Um, and even them might close, you know, their doors for the same reasons that the ISDs close. And so you're, you're going to need students to be remote uh, learning. You're going to need right. parents to be able to work from home because they need to be there for the kids and the kids can't stay home alone. I mean, there's there's this huge... Uh, cascade possibility it's not necessarily all going to happen all over the place right but um, well, this, this may be like i mean in italy in the the red zone right i mean the the unfortunately the tech isn't widely distributed enough to really take advantage of it at the moment but i think it will get people thinking in that direction so that maybe the next time we have a, a big global outbreak of something that people have already kind of built out a little more infrastructure to make that possible so it's hoping but yeah uh Speaking of conferences, we managed to catch a few of them before they stopped having them. Uh, a bunch of us made it out to the Industrial VRAR Forum in Houston and got to listen to some uh, interesting talks and try a lot of cool tech. Um, let's let's kind of talk through some of that. Uh, for those of you who were out at uh, 
the the forum uh, how many get to try the haptex gloves uh, i was able to cool i did too uh, yep yeah all right so um and then william you didn't make it out to the conference right no unfortunately i was i was a little busy at work uh so i wasn't able to take the time to make it out there but Sounds like we've got a, a pretty good panel of, of judges. Right, here. We got three people who try it. All right. So I I am curious to hear your thoughts, Kevin. So for this, I, I feel like I am usually very critical over over the whole uh, haptic kind of system because I want it to be the absolute best it can possibly be. Um for the gloves themselves, I thought they were pretty neat, but it, it's kind of cool. So the just in case, uh, so people know, so the way this this system works is this glove has tiny little pneumatic bubbles all inside on the palm and also on the kind of the, the pads of each fingertip. Uh, so at least for right now, basically this whole giant system is hooked up into an air pump so obviously you can't go too far uh, <laughs> yeah. and no one is going to carry this thing on their back while they use it oh it's a but, beast right now you know yeah of, of course right now um the, the 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 guy that was doing the little demos uh, of course these are our prototype style units they're they're not really made small right now but he said that they'd we're definitely going to get smaller as they would ramp into full production. Uh, anyway, that's kind of where the whole sensation stems from is basically having these little kind of bubbles pressing against your skin. And they can come out with some pretty cool little effects. You know, they're very well controlled. So it can kind of have that slow growing kind of pressure feeling or kind of a quick jab feeling uh, there's one where you can put your hand in front of a windmill you know and it feels kind of like like a breeze one that i thought was kind of neat was there's this little cloud that starts to rain if you put your hand underneath it it kind of feels like little raindrops hitting all over your hand oh yeah and, and another one was that that cloud while it's raining if you squeeze it it kind of has some thunder and lightning to it and so it kind of almost makes it feel like it's vibrating in your hand a little bit and almost almost like it's like it's a shock aren't the gloves supposed to have kind of like a sensation where you know it, it would it would lock your your hands up yes, if you were does. trying to squeeze <laughs> okay yeah so I, I i i didn't really get that sensation at all maybe except for like one finger one time where i thought it might have been working but it didn't seem to be doing too much. How about y'all? Uh, I asked specifically about that because I was trying to do things like pick things up and was hoping that it would stop my fingers, you know, at the appropriate depth so that it felt like I was holding it. And that wasn't happening much. And they said, there's a post sticking out of the top of the barn. Go try uh -huh. and, you know, put your finger top of the post and then try to bend your finger. And they were correct. I couldn't bend my finger, you know, bend my finger once I did that. But, um, I mean, the trick is that you know, it all has to be relative to your hand. I mean, you can't put your hand up against a, a virtual wall and have it stop because the, the limit of what it can do is adjust how much your fingers can bend. So you can certainly do local things. And I, I think it was probably software rather than hardware that 
was the reason you didn't you know feel your finger stop when you picked up the tractor or things like that yeah but um it's capable i I did the the gloves a a few times now and at at different points in time and i definitely like when you pick up the cloud i i remember feeling like i was holding the cloud like i was you know holding something that wouldn't let my fingers pass through it um uh, when i picked up the tractor and when i picked up um different objects um I think there's a rock that you could also pick yeah. up. And yeah. I definitely felt the solidity of it, right? So from from an outside perspective, um, obviously I haven't tried it, but that sounds kind of, I mean, disappointing a little bit because it sounds like it's mostly software that's handling the collision. And if that's the case, then that's just one more peripheral that has to be integrated at the software level in order to get the features out of it i mean in theory right. you could probably create uh, a shim that would you know handle some of that with the the you know uh colliders and so on within existing software but yeah i mean at the moment i think you definitely have to compile in support directly for the haptics gloves gotcha. and i mean they're they're expensive enough right now that i mean you're going to be custom building software for them right right i mean haptics haptics right now good haptics are are rare and and hard. I mean, it's one of the great unsolved problems of uh, VR. The other being locomotion. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's it's difficult because we want a perfect simulation of life. We want to be able to you know feel like we're actually there. And so, unfortunately, kind of some of our reaction is we we try something that gets us ten percent of the way there, twenty percent of the way there, and it just makes us want the other you know, the rest of it now. (laughs) So uh, it's easy to get a little disillusioned, but it's also important to remember that the only way for us to get from here to there is for people to, to do the hard work with, you know, the more limited solutions and make those steps. I mean, we we aren't going to get to the uh, totally lifelike step without them slogging through these extremely difficult steps early on. So I'm, I'm a big fan of them doing it, even if it's, you know, frustratingly limited at the moment. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I want to say that, you know, if you come to the Haptics booth or, or look at the product from the consumer standpoint of like, I just want to feel a VR experience, you're going to walk away disappointed. One, because it's priced way out of most people's leagues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, because it's it's doing something at such a high fidelity and such an early stage, the prototype level really kind of getting towards the dev kit, I would say. Yeah. Um, that you're you get the really high fidelity tactics. You really do. You get this really uh, amazing sensation, but you definitely have drawbacks of being an early adopter. So you have to have a specific business use case and a specific need right. that you're, you're overcoming. Right. And if it's haptic driven, uh, there really isn't a better solution that I've actually gotten to put my hands on. Or that is, in. that is true. I've tried a lot of different haptic gloves, you know, Dexmo and, what was that one we tried out at um contact.io uh, there you go you know and at, i mean at this, SV, or svvr svvr mm-hmm. yeah okay so yeah. and this this was definitely better um oh yeah for sure absolutely 10 yeah. times better world so, of difference to clarify i mean i'm not saying that it's it's disappointing in that oh well it's not the 90% better you know option my concern i guess comes from the numerous devices that come and go and lose their use case or their value, I guess, in, in, because it doesn't target 
it, it, it requires a very specific, you know, build runtime that's running right. in the background to access this thing. And then when those things go out of, go out of use, um, if you were an early adopter, now you've got a piece of hardware that you can't use with anything effectively. Right. No. Um, there are now a number of, of haptic vests or haptic, you know, hardware yeah. that are completely useless because either the company went under, um, it's, it has no, like case in point, here's a great example and it's not haptics. But here's a great example. The Vive Tracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vive Tracker is something that was a commercially released product, had the full support of the company backing it, but had to be manually integrated into the software. And as such, it supports virtually nothing. Right. There are a handful of games that even support the Vive Tracker What's the, at all. It's the chicken or the egg problem. I mean, right. developers don't want to throw resources at something for hardware that is almost non-existent in the field and nobody right. wants to buy hardware for a total lack of software. So, exactly. I mean, from, from where I sit, when you talk about the tracker, I think it's still a great product. I still see it used. Oh, it is for, but for that's from a business. If you're, if business you're rolling your own software, absolutely. So, right. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely yeah. not looking from Don't a game perspective. The tracker is, the no, it's a great piece a of hardware. It's a perfectly viable piece of hardware. And matter of fact, mm-hmm. we've talked numerous times about, you know, now there are these these sort of kits that you can get to, to effectively build your own mini tracker. Right. And that's a fantastic piece of piece of hardware that's like, that's awesome. You know, run it off a small battery, attach a tracker to everything, and everything's tracked, and it's fantastic. Except for it's only tracked in the piece of hardware that, or the piece of software that you specifically build. It has no other use outside of that, and you're not getting that tracked object in right. anything else. The, the smart thing to do, I, I, I believe strongly the smart thing to do is for you to get an industry-wide agreement on uh, an SDK layer yeah, that yeah. everything builds to. So, okay, you know, this particular hardware manufacturer went out of, of business, but if other people are still supporting the standard, then that old hardware is still going to get supported in new software. and right. um, An input-output standard system. I yeah. And you've got... Like you think about the the correl- the correlation of like consoles, right? So you can get a PS4 controller from fourteen different companies, right? Um, not not as much today. There's only a few, but you can get a you can get a controller that works with that con- console for, you know, however much from four hundred different you know manufacturers, because it has the same basic input out- output system. It has the same input output layer, right? And if we can get the hardware manufacturers to or or the game engine or wherever that that needs to happen i imagine it's somewhere in the game engine uh layer that okay this is the standard output layer right. to where <clears throat> this is haptics this is right. sound this, this is, is body visuals. tracking whatever right. yeah this is body tracking and, yeah. and then everyone can build on top of that and that's where we'll get the truly great stuff that right. sticks around I, I desperately want them to have a universal body tracking SDK that way right. people just implement it once and then whatever hardware you've got however you got to it it's supported so right and I it's certainly doable uh, it just takes kind of industry-wide will to make it happen but right um, with with haptics you know I spent a lot of time talking to them kind of ridiculous amounts of time talking to them uh, they are coming out with a, a second generation developer kit this summer. Uh, it's going to be significantly smaller, lighter, and so on. Uh, I mean, the the current one, the the control box is heavy and large and sits on a desktop, and you can get maybe about two feet from it. I mean, the cabling is is intense yeah. and short. Uh, they are going to get it down to backpack sized so that you can put it in a backpack and be running off of that uh, and be moving around. 
the compressed air right now is running off a generator or a, a large compressed air tank, they're going to get it so that you can have small compressed air tanks that feed from the backpack or from you know straps on your arms. So I mean, they're they're making some strides. It's still not priced for anything consumer like. I asked about pricing, and they told me I'd have to right. sign an NDA to even find out what the price was. So <laughs> that's I think code for if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Um, right, but. Very cool tech. They look way cyberpunk. They look completely impressively cyberpunk. But um, they are uh, these are things that we're going to look back at as you know the the very early the early prototypes. Prototypes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the other great unsolved challenge of VR um, locomotion, we got to try the the latest generation Infinidec. Uh, We tried an earlier prototype. Was it two years ago, three years ago at uh, SVVR uh, lab out in yeah, Mountain View? But there's there's still yeah, an even ago. later iteration than the one we tried. Oh, and then the one we even tried. Okay. Yep. Well, this was this was you know a significant step up from the one we tried uh, a couple of years ago. Pun intended. Uh, <laughs> so, um, f- for those who don't know, the Infinidec is uh, a true omnidirectional treadmill, as in it's got. A belt that goes in one direction that has that is made up of thin strips of belt that can go the opposite direction. So, no matter which direction you walk, it can pull you back to the center of the platform. Uh, if you watched Ready Player One, the the little platforms they were running around on were basically Infinidec. Um, there's a lot of challenges to making that work well. Uh, when we first started hearing about it, I was really hoping it would be the silver bullet. It's like, oh well, you just have a treadmill that moves underneath you and keeps you back in the center. That's perfect. Uh, it turns out there's a lot of challenges even to that. Uh, one of the biggest being that if you change direction suddenly, if you make a sharp turn, you can end up with your center of balance outside of your body while the belts you know, try to catch up with you. And you get this sort of drunken sailor effect on, on sharp turns. <laughs> so they, they tend to compensate by keeping the top speed down some, at least until people have been trained up. Uh, and, and are more used to walking on it. Uh, I was very frustrated a couple of years ago when we tried it because they capped out the top speed at about two miles an hour, which I like to walk really fast, so this was a form of torture for me. Uh, <laughs> so I talked them into bumping up the top speed for me. And I was actually much happier with it when it was running at you know a top speed of you know five miles an hour. Uh, walking in a straight line actually worked quite well. Turning in a gradual arc worked quite well. Turning suddenly went about how you would expect for a sudden turn at five miles an hour and your center of gravity goes out from under you. So, you know, uh, still not uh, the silver bullet I'm hoping for, but they are, it sounds like going to implement body tracking upcoming so that they can better anticipate what you're in the process of doing. You can tell from your body posture, you're about to change direction and start moving ahead of that so that, you know, hopefully they can keep your balance better, which I would definitely love to try. Who else got to try it at the the meetup or at the conference? I did, and and I I'd say that they uh, the inverse kinematics from using the Vive trackers um, gets them gets them a lot closer to where they want to be, right? But I think the full body tracking, um, multiple uh, points of tracking with some kind of mocap suit, um, will definitely take it over the edge of. Uh, understanding where you're going to move, how you're moving, how you're twisting and turning, things like that. Yeah. Um, Cause that's really the hard part, right? I mean, if, if you have feet on the ground um, 
you're in a, a finite place, but when you have your foot up in the air or even worse, if you're jogging and you are potentially completely removed from the surface, then um, how does the how does the platform know where to catch you and right. and not pull the rug up rug out from underneath you, right? So it's, it's a hard problem. And I mean the you know these these are huge devices uh, at the moment. And they and they're this one was slimmer and lighter than the one we tried a couple of years ago, but they're still not something you're gonna have in your living room anytime soon. So hopefully if they can get the the tracking good enough that it gives you stability while turning then maybe they can start working on bringing the the size and weight down to something a little more consumer friendly. But at the moment, this is very much training, research, and so on. A, a use case they pointed out that I thought was brilliant is uh, physical rehab. Uh, traditional treadmills are difficult for that because uh, it's it's difficult for you to maintain a constant speed. And with a traditional treadmill, you you have to go the speed the treadmill is going. This can sense your sense your speed and adjust to it. So if you can go faster or go slower, it will adapt as you're doing it, which I thought was a really good use case. And while, while with the haptics gloves, you have to have some kind of experience that you're either uh, retrofitting to utilize the gloves and in which case you need to build some kind of uh, tie in to the hands and how the hands move and manipulate in the environment. And uh, a lot of experiences don't have, or didn't put a lot of forethought into something like that. Whereas with Infinidec and other locomotion solutions, um, if it's a sixed off experience, there's some kind of movement already built in, right? So right. <clears throat> making an experience capable for Infinidec is a lot more of a trivial task than something like a, a haptics. Right. In, in theory, as long as it supports you know analog speed controls, you, you could shim an adapter or an emulator in and use existing software. Um, and, and even if you had to compile something in, it would be, you know, be drag and drop pretty much. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, locomotion is, is certainly one of those where, you know, it has the potential to be used for almost anything. I love walking simulators. Uh, I loved, uh, Dear Esther and so on. I actually like, you know, walking endlessly through environments. I would have loved to do like Firewatch in VR, but with, you know, uh, uh, an omnidirectional treadmill, but um, just it's it's one of those things that's still kind of in the early phases, right? Or, or photogrammetry. It's a it's a great use for exploring. Like if we had had oh, a, yeah. a, a full photogrammetry of Notre Dame before, absolutely. The stuff, you know, no, I would love it for virtual tourism. Absolutely love it. Uh, I desperately want this tech to get better and become ubiquitous. Um, so I. I Totally applaud the the companies that are they're doing the hard work right now. Uh, I'm just impatient for them to get to the uh, perfectly simulates walking and it's cheap and will fit in my living room. So I'm, Come I'm on selfish. guys, just dump 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 trucks of of money on these companies so we can get better uh, <laughs> tech right now. I mean, especially if we end up with coronavirus, because then you can just walk around. There you, you go. Do, like from the comfort, you can be quarantined and on vacation. I like it. We should do it <laughs> totally. The quarantine package. Exactly. <laughs> kind of a, an oddball one. Uh, there was a, a booth out there that had uh, some Pico headsets. They're big in China, uh, and the, the Pico Neo and the Pico, well, I guess the Pico Neo 2, uh, is pretty much a direct competitor to the Quest there. Um, 
and actually it uses the the same basic Snapdragon processor, although a couple generations newer, so it's faster. Um, it has almost no presence in the U.S., um, and so there's no there's very little software that's been ported to it that's in English. But they are looking for English applications for you know business cases and so on. So I uh, spent quite a bit of time with uh, the Pico Neo 2 and the Pico Neo 2i, which has uh, eye tracking in it. And that was it was really interesting. It was a sort of little alternate universe quest that made a bunch of different choices. Um, faster processor, higher resolution screen. Uh, the screen was very crisp, uh, very clear. You, you got much less you know, screen door and so forth. Um, they shifted the battery pack to the back of the strap so it was more balanced um it had the uh the the halo style head strap with the 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 knob in the back so it was more comfortable to me i prefer those types on the downsides uh its positional tracking only uses two cameras so it's significantly less robust and was uh it really struggled to hang on to its guardian boundaries in a busy conference setting um it uh the hand trackers are significantly less nice than the the touch-based controllers uh they're these these sort of very chunky heavy wands they do use magnetic positional tracking for the hands which is surprising almost nobody does that except six cents i think um the good being that there is absolutely no possibility of uh occlusion you know it doesn't matter if something is blocking the the cameras don't have to see the the position of your hand so uh it's robust and, that and way how how were they working for you eric while, while you the were hand trackers the, yeah the hand trackers they worked fine uh i don't think i was really pushing them to their limits i, I wasn't you know trying to kind of break the paradigm but um they worked fine they just felt chunky they felt very kind of clunky and awkward so uh, aside from the there's aesthetic can you yeah talk just for those of uh the audience that might not know can you talk about like what why a magnetically tracked uh, handset is important or is different sure uh with most of the the hand tracking that's being done right now is, is optical you've got uh flashing infrared leds on the hand trackers you've got cameras either on the headset or externally uh that are picking those up and locating them in space and the trick is when you're doing that if your your head is looking all these different directions your hands are going these different directions your hands are being blocked by your other hand or parts of your body. Uh, it's fairly easy for uh, the system to lose track of where your hands are. Uh, with magnetic tracking, you don't have to have optical line of sight. Uh, if you put one hand in front of the other, it doesn't interfere with tracking at all. Um, or if you you know move it, uh, if your head is turned the opposite direction, it can still track it just fine because it doesn't have to be looking in the direction. It's it's sensing it all through. Um, I mean, it's sensor fusion. You've still got IMUs, accelerometers in the, the hand trackers, but the absolute positional correction is being done magnetically. It'd be interesting to see uh, what it would look like with 30 of the headsets in the same close space. <laughs> that would be interesting. I know we, we had two headsets working in pretty close proximity, and it didn't seem to be disrupting the hand tracking at all. Um I will say that it, it definitely was struggling to, it kept wanting to kick back to the Guardian system to reestablish the Guardian boundaries uh, because it was a, a bunch of people milling around and, and not a lot of geometry for it to grab onto. Whereas I've seen the Quest actually hold up quite well under those conditions. 
I I didn't get to to try out the Pico Neo, but I do know that one of the added benefits I've heard from some of uh, my colleagues have been that you can get um, direct access to a lot more of it than you can on something like the Quests. That is a hundred percent true. They the their big pitch in the U.S. is that they're actively trying to work with businesses as opposed to you know Oculus announcing the Oculus for Business initiative and then missing their deadline by what a a quarter of a year, third of a year with total radio silence. Um, and that all the stuff that they're promising is add-ons at a higher price, they're just doing standard. You want to you wanna load software so that when you put the headset on, it goes directly into your software as opposed to a menuing system? Yeah, you can do that. You want to have a limited menu of just a handful of items? Yeah, you can do that too. You want direct access to the cameras to play with pass-through AR? Sure, go right ahead. They're, they're not looking to limit you. Um, Price point is higher than the Quest. Uh, I think the models were 600 and 800. 800 gets you eye tracking. Uh, the eye tracking, you know, even has support for foveated rendering, uh, which I got to play with a little bit in a demo, and at least for that one demo, seemed to work quite well. So um, that was really intriguing. In, in many ways, I'm way more interested in the $800 model with eye tracking and foveated rendering than I am in the $600 model. So, right. I mean, obviously, it's not targeted at consumers um right you know almost all of the consumer software out there for it is in chinese only um but if you're in the u.s and they said also i mean there's no resale restrictions so i mean if you want to create a training product and then sell it already on the headset with your branding all over the headset uh and sell it directly there's no restrictions on that whereas you know oculus would throw a fit so you know yeah and if this hasn't been brutally obvious until this point, uh, it was the industrial VR AR forum yeah. that we're, <laughs> yes. we're doing all these demonstrations at. Yeah. All of this stuff was very much geared towards business, enterprise, development, research, things like that. So a lot of the conversation here, why it's centered around non-consumer specific stuff is because that's the right. audience it was intended for. Uh, I was reading a little earlier today that Magic Leap is looking for someone to acquire them. Um, and I guess the issue they've, I mean, they've had some stumbling, you know, over the last few months, uh, their CEO said that, you know, they wanted to sell a million, a million headsets. Um, and then later he projected that it was going to be a hundred thousand headsets that they would probably sell. And then uh, a report came out that said that they had sold about 6,000 headsets. Yeah. Um, so a little below the mark that they were looking for, um, the Alphabet CEO uh, left Magic Leap's board, uh, that position that he was on, um, even after Google like led the $500 million funding that they, they got earlier in uh, 2014. Um, so apparently they're looking for someone to acquire. Uh, the, the number that was sort of floated out, I guess, by their CEO was that uh, you know, they think Magic Leap could fetch as much as $10 million or sorry, 10 billion. Um, the company was valued somewhere between six and eight a little earlier. Um, so they're kind of floating a, a higher value, though they did just lose that contract versus uh, Microsoft for the military yeah. for their AR application. Yep. So um, it could just be them sort of floating it like, hey, yeah, you know, we're, we're worth 10 billion. Um, but so far uh, from what I was, from what I read, there have been no real takers um apples looked into them facebook's looking looked into them but so far there's nothing been announced or released about that but they are on the market 
I'm also worth ten billion. So oh, if good. anybody wants to <laughs> buy me for ten billion, to acquire you. Yep, I'm priceless. <laughs> <laughs> it's just worth remembering that at in the early phases when people were dumping, you know, Google and all these other companies were yeah. dumping huge amounts of money into them, the system that they were showing off in the lab for the the visuals for the optics yeah. and the screens is was totally different than what they ended up shipping with. It was this right. whole chip photonic system, which um, allowed you to direct the light from the actual angles it should be coming from. So you got proper um, you know, vergence accommodation, things like that, uh, which which I imagine was was stunning. Um, although anybody who tried it had to sign you know a stack of NDAs. Um, but they were also trying a, a giant thing that was bolted to a table that they swore they could miniaturize. And right. I think in the end, they decided that they couldn't actually figure out how to miniaturize it, and they went with standard waveguides. Um, I mean, they did some cool things with the waveguides. There are actually two two separate uh, focal planes, so that you can position UI elements in two different spots, two different levels of depth, where it's perfectly natural for your eyes. Your The convergence and the uh, the lens accommodation match up which is more comfortable than you usually get. But um, it just wasn't spectacularly better enough than, say, a HoloLens to right. push the industry in their direction. So um, I don't know. They, they kind of they made a lot of interesting choices. I did kind of like them throwing all their hardware on a, a separate puck so that you didn't have the weight right. and the heat on your head. Um, but it just wasn't a compelling enough debut piece of hardware to shake up the industry so i think they're a harder sell now so one other thing that i kind of want to talk about is for the the whole vr conference thing is uh something that i was am am noticing and and really enjoying is this support from from big companies you know it's for a good while it's just kind of been on these little burners of, of small companies doing things. Uh, but, you know, there were some pretty major speakers at this this past conference. Uh, since it was in Houston, it, of course, did have to do a lot with, with oil and gas. But, but still, it's, it's really nice to see the, the actual big, big companies coming out and kind of showing their their support behind it and showing that they're actually you know putting people into it uh like like exxon the guys we know over at exxon we've uh will you know has has done some uh some demos out at their facility oh when was that like two and a half three years ago that was like 2016 it was around the launch of, of both headsets um, yeah because it was before I, I know for a fact it was before the touch uh wow. had released because they had the they had the pre-release touches um they had been sent by oculus um because exxon's had a vr lab for quite a while um although it was largely <coughs> a cave vr before <laughs> right. You know the oculus came out and then whenever they got you know they, they got in touch with oculus and got their hands on dev kits and things like that so um they shifted pretty early on into you know into the vr the modern vr era if you will Um, and yeah and and i'm trying to remember do do you remember what exactly or which department you're kind of trying to show stuff to 
So when I when I went over there, I was working with a guy uh, over who effectively worked for their media. Um, okay, yeah, that's what I was sort thinking. of department. Like the, um, the media marketing, s- right? Not media marketing. It was more the internal like AV media like uh, team. They handled okay. all of the um, AV and everything else. Um, and one of the things that they were also doing is they were branching out into VR um, and seeing if there was sort of the the need or desire for. Um, a team and Exxon did eventually end up spinning up a, a VRAR team inside of you know, inside of their organization for uh, targeting these things. And they've since gone on to sponsor um, events like the uh, Healthcare Game Showdown, um, uh, the XR Showdown, which is happening right now, um, and as well as others. I think they sponsored last year's immersive, uh, or sorry, industrial VRAR forum, as well as this year's. Um, or at least they were there in part. Um, so they've, they've definitely branched out. And like you said, it's great to see them actually start to take interest or, or to really finally get through all the red tape. Because when we you know, were talking to them about a lot of this stuff, they were it, it's a big company. It moves slow. Um, and they finally are starting to get up to, to speed and, and running with these various things. Um, so it's nice to see that they are, they're out there you know, at these events supporting them attending them, you know, being involved in, in various ways. So. It was it was notable that attendance was significantly uh, up this year over last year. Right, uh, that was going to be my question because I wasn't able to attend. So Right, no, it was... Last year, last year was, it was okay. It wasn't bad, but, you know, it was still on the small side. It was a first-year conference, nothing right. that you wouldn't expect. But it sounds like this year it was substantially better. It was. It was... It was um, significantly better attended had a a much much larger expo floor um some really good presentations and the the tone was different this year i mean you really had a lot of people up there on stage uh talking about vr and ar without the sense of sort of trepidation that they had in the past i mean they're actually they deployed things they'd actually gotten good return on their investment uh they were happy with results and they were looking to move forward one of the big things that uh, drove that at least for some of them was standalone VR, being able to get away right. from being tethered to a desktop. Um, there were definitely right. adherents, you know, people who were very excited about the HoloLens 2, people who were very excited about the Quest. Um, it's it's the technology is finally tipping to the point where the the use cases are getting uh, really compelling in a lot of industry segments. Right, it's getting to the point where now these companies are looking into it and saying, okay. Well, I can spend four hundred dollars on a headset that I can package up and, and do what I need to, rather than saying, okay, I've got to spend however much money on a machine that I have to then manage and, and do all these things with. When you can just roll out a backpack and to to somebody, it's much easier. I will say that when I was there uh, several years back, um, they were quite excited about the Hololens, and that's you know that is one of the things where you know. It just comes in a case, and right. they can pass it around and do everything. And so, having a VR equivalent to that, and then now having a, a new generation of the Hololens too, um, is is a really good uh, step forward. And, and I think that's I, I agree. I think that's something that's driving that new, uh, that renewed interest in the hardware. I think you hit the nail on the head, Will, when you said you know large companies tend to move slowly, right? So you have you have this this phased rollout where you have initial investment of maybe it's just ideas and talking about it around the company and and mulling over how they would properly invest. Then they have some kind of you typically they have some kind of innovation lab where they'll be anywhere from one piece of hardware up to you know a couple handfuls. 
where they can start to tinker around and let some of their lead engineers try to innovate and create workflows with the immersive technology. And we're starting to get to the point now where the larger business arena has gotten saturated enough, long enough with um, hardware, whether it's consumer or enterprise grade, that they're they're starting to see the merit. They're starting to see, you know, the, the needle move in different verticals. And so it's starting to make more sense. And then, you know, not to uh, come back to what we said earlier, but COVID-19, I think, is going to push that even further where companies might have been sitting on the fence and still saying, well, I don't know, maybe. Now they're going to start to really uh, reinvigorate that that talk about how it fits into the the workflow, how it fits into health and safety, how it fits into training and just everyday work use, right? So yeah. that's I think that's it being in Houston, the 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 form being in Houston, the the kind of um, environment and companies that we have here, the it being the second year, all, all the right key factors all came together. Like so, my my partners and I. I our company Mace um, brought a, a bunch of different of our hardware partners together to this forum as like a, a kind of a one-stop shop for these companies to be able to experience that. We saw a lot of success with companies um, and uh, being able to do multiple different demos of different hardware types in one uh, single location. Right. And um, like you were saying, Kevin, there's the, just a, a huge representation of all these really large companies that, you know, it's not, not mom and pop shop um, show anymore, right? It's the big dogs are not just paying a lot of attention, but they're sending their decision makers. They're sending them out now again to the second year and even more, a, a bigger team um, to get hands-on experience and try to understand, you know, this is the right product for us. This fits. Uh, how do we take the next steps and understanding the, the bigger picture um, puzzles that they have to solve. So that being said, um, we talked about the industrial VR AR forum. Um, there are several several other conferences, you know, coming down the pipeline. Um, Eric, you mentioned just a little bit ago, HTC is doing uh, their their conference potentially, or I guess it's confirmed is going to be doing it vo- virtually. Yes, that's the, yes. that's been the or, announcement. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so they have changed it. It's, it's the HTC Valve Ecosystem Conference, or VEC for short. But yes, they they have confirmed that because it it originally is in Shenzhen, China. Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and which is also uh, basically one of the largest manufacturing hubs for technology (laughs) in the world basically like that's pretty much where all computer hardware comes from is Shenzhen China um but yeah they they confirmed uh two days ago I think it was maybe three days ago Mm -hmm. that yeah they're 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 not going to have it at uh in in person Uh, they're they're going to move everything over into VR and a company engage is going to be the one who is going to spin up stuff for them. 
So yeah. it's interesting that it's called the Valve Ecosystem Conference. Yeah. No, it's it's the Vive Ecosystem. Sorry, Conference. sorry. Oh, yeah, Vive. I'm I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Vive. Vive, Vive ecosystem, ecosystem conference. That makes much more sense. Josh, you wanted to talk about the educators in VR summit. No, I just I I wanted to talk um, expand more on this this concept of doing events in VR um, and using something like the Engage platform is is really a perfect um, really perfect capabilities that the platform speaks to. Right, um, you have uh, I believe it's the maximum is is fifty users per. 50 active users per space, but you can infinitely instance it. What that means is like you could have a panel of four people giving a talk like they would at a conference and you could have thousands of people watching that same um, panel all at the same time, tuning in, whether they're in VR or they don't even have to use a VR headset. They could, you could have anybody just in a, that just download the software um, off steam. It's freely available. Um, and you could, expand that just from just having a talk or just showing a presentation like PowerPoint or YouTube video, et cetera, to having a 360 um, YouTube video walkthrough um, or actually putting 3D models in an experience and understanding how many people want to attend a different space, how, many, how much time exactly, how much, uh, how much time someone spends in that space um, interacting with the environment. You can have a showroom floor uh, or like a, a, a expo floor that's infinitely expandable um dynamic or static uh, so there's there's a lot of things that the platform just like seem to be ready for this moment to happen where they needed to quickly come up with a solution to make a networking event and an announcement space and this this big conference that they had planned um go completely virtual and digital and it's it's not just five, right? So it's it's all these huge conferences that we talked about earlier that are all having to put the brakes on their plans and figure out what to do. And sponsors that had all these plans of of investment and sending teams of people and building these huge um, representations of their their product or their brand or what they're trying to accomplish. You know, they they're left just kind of sitting in the wind, wondering what to do next where this really neatly solves that problem. It helps companies drive down their carbon footprint at the same time and make sure that their employees stay safe. Yeah. And, and of, of course, you know, all this, this stuff will not actually completely get rid of a physical conference because of course you can't actually experience new hardware, you know, in sure. VR. So, so yeah, of course this isn't going to get rid of, you know physical conferences but it definitely helps with you know getting the information out there and something that i've come come to notice as i've been going to more and more of these conferences is you just you never have enough time to do everything you want to right and talk to everybody you want to you know e even if this even if a conference is multiple days it's just you just never have enough time. You know, you get wrapped up with one person and the next thing you know, you know, an hour has gone by. Uh, so I, I think it'll also really help with allowing you to kind of be able to separate that, you know, into an extra part even where, you know, especially for this, it's really easy in VR to just hop on real quick and, you know, get some time with, with, 
talking to, to people ab about something and then say later on, a couple months later on, fly out to a actual conference and most likely they'll probably be going over the same stuff, uh, you know, talking about the same stuff. But since you've pretty much gotten all your information from the get go, you can then go to direct sources and actually try out stuff. Or mm -hmm. then you can, you know, talking beforehand, you can possibly formulate some more questions to get a better sense of, of what you want to ask the next time. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, for largely networking focused events, it certainly hits hits a, a specific, uh, really hits the nail on the head for those where it's mostly um, passive intake of content, where it's talks like TED style events, where it's mostly talks. There's not any hardware to experience, um, but there are announcements or or topics being discussed, and then there's networking involved. That it, it it certainly satisfies those. But I agree with you, like you said that. You know, it's obviously not going to replace hardware-focused events like E3 and VRX and some of these others. They're, like, they're not going to go all digital um, because it just doesn't make sense when there's things that you need to be able to see and hold and interact with um, on a level that you might not be able to in, in virtual space. So. I, I think it'd be cool to, to pick up on what you said, Kevin, how you end up with these conferences um, when they get to this certain point that you you literally there's it's just impossible to experience everything um and if you had a, vi a virtual representation of the conference you know after the fact that you could go back and consume more of the right. experiences um like you know obviously what you said will is, and, and kevin about if it's hardware based you can't do it um but you can get something if, if you completely missed a booth or if you completely missed a talk or if you completely missed right. something, right? You, you have this place to go dive a little bit deeper into it and better understand it. And then you have uh, telemetry and analytics on people that are attending. Um, you know, like if it, let's say you're in the energy uh, industry and you really only care about the chemistry of certain petrochemicals. You're, you're not going to care so much about something like the Infinidec, right? Locomotion is not as important to you. So you might not want to be in a networking event for people that are going to be talking mostly about locomotion. And so uh, having a, a system in place that you're, you're going through could help you maybe get more out of your time and get more out of your networking events um, going through something like this. Or maybe it's something we see as a hybrid, like maybe conferences use this when there's... Uh, barriers like a global pandemic um, to actually having a conference. And then we start to include it as a hybridization uh, between using the immersive technologies and virtual worlds in tandem with the physical and uh, real representation and actual presence. Yeah. It adds a new layer of accessibility to, to these events where, you know, someone can't afford to fly out to California for a conference or they don't have the time. They can't, they can't take it, but they still want to attend these different things. Like, I mean, that's one of the things that Oculus Connect has done for years now is offered their keynotes in VR. Um, you essentially pop on an Oculus headset and boom, you can watch the keynote. Uh, and that has limited you know, success in terms of getting the experience across um, because you still don't get the networking opportunities. But if you offered sort of a virtual uh, space where everyone who wasn't there physically could interact with each other um, in a way that was 
natural sort of fluid, not just like a chat room or something, um, could make a lot of sense. No, I, I think we're going to see a lot change in the terms of once VR hardware reaches you know full market penetration, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in terms of accessibility for these types of events in and out of VR. So that being said, I think one of the last but not least pieces of news was that the Valve Index was back in stock <laughs> for all of five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So if you didn't get yours during the first round, it's too late. You can't get it during the second round already. Um, but hopefully it'll come back. Maybe um, this time they fix the joysticks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I've been hearing horror stories yes. after that. Yes. No people I'm on sorry. there. I didn't actually hear that. What happened here? Is it the left left hand left uh, controller? I think it's either one of them, but it's the the, the joystick. There's a there's a, a bit that's not making good contact after a while, and so oh. the 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 thing you know most a, a lot of software in the Valve ecosystem, if you uh, or Vive ecosystem, if you you press down the stick and then angle it to teleport. And that specific motion, that pressing down the stick is not registering. And people are having to crack them open and, and put a dot of uh, solder in a particular spot. to. We, we've got an index at work, and it's, it's suffered from that within probably four or five weeks of us purchasing. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty significant. So is, is there have they made any kind of a statement about that? Are they doing anything to like offer a new revision or anything? I know that if it was if you were within warranty, you could swap out. Um, I I don't know. Did they make any statements on having fixed it at manufacturing? Anyone know? Not that I saw, but I mean that's I think that's just where, where we're going to see iterative manufacturing yeah. come into play. Like I mean, I mean, you would hope. Yeah, you right? you, like, you can kill a Vive Wand controller similarly with the touchpad by just mashing yeah. it to yeah, yeah, yeah to heck and back. Yeah, and that was that's the thing is they haven't really fixed that in any of the newer controllers, and so it's a question of okay, are we going to see a revision like a Rev Zero One A, or are we going to see are we going to see anything change? Are we going to see a new something where they've fixed this, or are they just going to say, well, if it's still under warranty, send it to us and we'll fix it, and or we'll send you a new one that will also break in four to five weeks? So, <laughs> Come on, um, Will, buy more hand controllers. Look, I'm already spending enough money on hand sanitizer. I don't have money on trackers, too. Thank you all for joining us. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know this one was a little heavier on the news, no real, no real topic, but uh, there was enough of it. We thought we'd we'd dedicate you know an episode to just kind of discuss what's been going on, uh, both in and out of VR. We'll uh, we'll jump right back into our normal rotation next time and. Uh, discuss another deep dive topic so thanks for listening everybody sounds good take care see y'all next time thank you so much for listening to this episode of virtually relevant if you liked it please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find if you'd like to support houston vr and this podcast please consider becoming a patreon member at patreon.com slash houston vr until next time thanks for listening